Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty here, as always, with Mr. Craig Dennis Carter. It is day four of our Radio Row World Tour, and we have an amazing show for you today. Robert Mays from The Athletic will be joining us right off the top before we welcome in Points Bets head trader Jay Croucher, and then the Denver Broncos' Noah Fant. But first, we have Mr. Mays, host of The Athletic's football show, and dare I say, now a writer for The New York Times, Robert? I guess that's sort of true. I'm, it's good to know that Noah Fan will be the second best athlete on this show after the, after the 6040 that I posted yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're all we're all in line. That means yeah. we we were five nine. Pat was a little slow on the stopwatch, but that's neither here nor there. I ran one barefoot, so I feel like six six zero is yeah. yeah that's well, pretty that's, good. That's yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, you, you adjust that for the for the barefoot, and it's like five five. I'd say that's four eight four eight if I ran <laughs> shoes. Definitely that, that's four what we're eight. gonna go with. At the minimum, that might be four six four seven. <laughs> yeah, we did dress shoes. We we're all very prepared. Around the 40-yard dash. Yeah. Uh, My feet are uh, still recovering, actually. I have some issues uh, after running. Physically, I'm fine. Emotionally, not so much. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are emotionally shattered. Yeah. It, it was tough. It was tough to see that number. Yeah, I, I mean, have to be honest. The number was just screaming, you are 35 years old. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's yeah. a calculation of how washed you are. You feel it all the time, but it's a little bit more nebulous. Now it's concrete. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's really hard to stare that mortality in that cold, calculated way in the face. <laughs> yes, you do have proof. The stopwatch does not lie, even yeah. though it might have lied to Denny. <laughs> definitely um, lied. I that was like, like I was a little short. Oh, now I'll click it. <laughs> but yeah, Robert is a dual threat athlete, is a New York Times athletic writer and a 40-yard dash runner. But Robert, my first question is, like me, you are a Mizzou alum. Yes. Unlike me, you are also a Bears fan. How, how, how do you do that? How do you tolerate all that pain? How do you, uh, I just, I can't even think of two more painful football entities. It's sort of a pain really situation. I, you merely <laughs> adopted the dark. I was born in it. it when I watch teams that struggle with quarterback quality or bad offense and, and they're new to it or it's something that they've come to later in life, this is just how I was raised. <laughs> I'm, I'm 34 years old. My team has never had a top 10 quarterback no, has never had a ever. truly above average quarterback <laughs> in my entire life. And they are the worst offense 
by Every a lot year. of numbers of the past 20 years, since 2000. It is a constant struggle. It's a constant question. They decided another defensive-minded head coach so we could continue having it be a constant struggle. I'm just used to it by now. It, I'm almost so prepared for it that even if they, if they had that one year in like 2013 when they had a good offense with Alshon Jeffrey the and or that Mark Trestman yes, year yes. that kind of felt like it was yes. all working, uh-huh. it felt so strange that I wrote about it for Grantland. Really? Like, this feels so strange <laughs> that the Bears offense has a better outlook than their defense for the first time ever, but then the defense was so bad yeah. that all those guys ended up getting fired. I, so, love, I love that offense. Uh, Matt Forte catching passes out of oh, the backfield. Uh, Martellus Bennett. Who else uh, was on the other side of Brandon Marshall? Anyway, it was it was a very it was a solid offense. Yeah, it was. It was a fleeting moment though. It's, it's it very very far away now. Very, you just described the Bears, but how would you even describe what's wrong with Mizzou? Like Mizzou, just like I just am conditioned to know. Even if something is very minor positive news, just conditioned to know that within two months that'll just be somehow the exact opposite. I don't even know how to describe what it's like being a Mizzou football what it happened? What is happening right now is just a confirmation to me that Gary Pinkle was unbelievably good at his <laughs> job. And what they had going for them, I mean, you know this, and when we were there, they had this pipeline of just three-star recruits from Texas. All the guys that Texas and Oklahoma didn't want, Mizzou would scoop them up, and they had a fantastic coaching staff. Speaking of Matt Eberflus, yes, he was seriously. the defensive coordinator on those teams. I mean, now he's an NFL head coach. They had really, really good coaches on that staff, and their ability to develop the Sean Weatherspoons of the world and the William Moores of the world into, I mean, they pumped out. NFL draft picks. I mean, at one point over like a five-year stretch, the only team that had produced more first-round picks in the was Alabama. Yes. I mean, and to do that with the recruiting classes they were having, it was really, really hard to replicate. But moving to the SEC, you change how the recruiting grounds that you're looking for. You remove Gary Pinkle from the situation, and they're Mizzou again. They're what yes. Mizzou was for the past 40 years. Yes, and like literally, like you said, it was almost exclusively three-star recruits from Texas. Yeah. They would just coach them up. It was, yeah, it, very easy formula to replicate. Uh, <laughs> Denny, by the way, has never watched a college football game. I have game, never so done it. no idea what we're talking have about. Have you guys considered not watching? <laughs> I don't watch Mizzou games much anymore. I kind of he got that everyone. sense that you didn't. I do. I, so I, I have a, a fiancé. And the reason I have a fiancé is that I don't watch college football on Saturdays. <laughs> so I'd like yeah, yeah. to continue that right. because Sundays are off the table for 22 weeks a year. And in order to maintain the relationship that we have, I, I have to give her one weekend day. Well, I wish I week. could tell you you were missing out on something, but you're not. I you're really don't think I am. Very I, good. I, I, I think I'm a happier, more well-adjusted person I mean, because I don't watch it. You're practicing self-care. You have the choice, Mizzou. you know. Like, well, it, Denny, when you went to Mizzou, you didn't sign a contract saying, I will put myself well, but through. I'm, like, I'm actually, you know, I'm born and raised from from, from Missouri. My, my dad, my grandparents, yeah. like, this is like, you know, kind of like cradle to the grave. Right. Like, I just don't. Like, the punishment is just part of my life, like, ethos at what, this point. What if I told you, you you being born in Missouri was a cosmic coincidence? You know, and, and you nope. know, it's not nope. nothing nope. more. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. But anyways, yeah. So, Robert, unlike Denny and I, you are actually required to talk and write about real football. <laughs> we are only fantasy football analysts. But just getting into Super Bowl I care 50s. more about fantasy football than real football. <laughs> it's important to know. That's good. That's no, good. It's good to admit. But just heading into Super Bowl 56, I'll just start off with kind of like a cliche, simple question. But what do you think is the single most critical matchup of this game? And like, it could be something as like a one-on-one matchup or it could be like the Bengals O-line versus the Rams D-line. What is... What do you think is the single most critical matchup of Super Bowl? So I think that the Bengals O-line against the Rams D-line is we know that that's a mismatch. We know that the Rams are probably going to have an advantage there. So I'm actually going the other side of the ball 
with the two fronts because a huge part of why the Rams offense has been successful this year is that they've held up really well in pass protection. That offensive line as a pass protecting group has been excellent. They haven't run the ball as well as they want to or have no. in years past, but they've done a fantastic job of keeping Matthew Stafford upright. And if you think just about why the Rams passing game is so hard to defend, if you look to that three receiver side and you have those concepts with Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson and Tyler Higby often, and then you have Odo Beckham now isolated to the backside, they've really transitioned to that version of their offense since Beckham got there. They're hitting Beckham on the backside of those concepts late in downs. That is only possible because of Matthew Stafford's arm, the way he can get kind of those throws off. He operates well in traffic, but you can only hit those when you have time to do it. So if the Bengals can do a better job of collapsing the pocket, using some games in the same way that we saw the Titans do, you can't blitz the Rams. They absolutely no. flame no, teams they do. that no. blitz yeah. them. I mean, Matthew Stafford, I believe, had more EPA total against the blitz in the 2021 season than any quarterback in a single season since 2016. Really? And that's how good they were. So in order to pressure them, you need to rush with four, but can you do it in interesting ways? So I want to see how many twists do we see? How many simulated pressures do we see? And can the, if the Rams offensive line holds up in this game, I think that they win, and I think they win by a lot. That's, that's, I think that's been the general theme we've I, been yeah. the week. Has we've been talking about new thoughts every day, and the thought that keeps coming back to me about this game is that the Rams could very easily win this in a decided fashion. You know, like, like it, totally. if, if Stafford doesn't make the mistakes, which, which you know, against a, a, a Bengals defense that drops a lot of guys in coverage, and he's not been good in those situations at all. He's been much better under pressure somehow. Uh, he, you know, it could collapse in that way if Stafford makes those mistakes. But if he can avoid those mistakes, I just don't see an avenue toward the Bengals winning here. Well, like you said, just the fact that you literally cannot blitz. And we talk about this. It's almost like Matthew Stafford, like, he's like a really good, like, split-second thinker. Yeah. So like with the blitz is in his face, he just like kind of like instinctually knows what to do with the ball. He's an instinctual player. He's, yeah, a, he he's a, very, like a gut player, player. Yeah. And the arm angle stuff is real in those moments, it is. right? When you yeah. have to get the ball out quickly, and it's we're we're going to talk about this on our preview here in a second on our show. What is the version of the drop eight coverage that the Bengals did last week? What does this week's version look like? This game's version, mm -hmm. because they're not going to do the same thing. No. And that's been the amazing part about this Bengals defense is that it's a microwave to defense. It's all built through free agency. <laughs> you have half of those guys True. that came on this year. Your Chidobia Wouziers, Mike Hiltons. Yeah. And somehow they've been able to have enough cohesion and communication and smarts between them that they can run a new defense every single week. They can do all of this stuff that they change their stripes, pun not intended, <laughs> as often as they want to. And that's what's so fascinating to me is now that you have two weeks what does that change look like, one that's tailored specifically to what the Rams do well? I don't know the answer to that because I'm not an NFL coach. Yeah, and so, so, first off, the way they built the defense was so unusual. Cause, you know, Rotor will be blurb everything, and, like, they were in free agency, like, every day. I was like, wow, they're signing another guy to, like, a real money deal. Like, they're trying to do, like, the classic, like, actually building through free agency, which, you know, doesn't always work necessarily. And It's necessary when you can't draft anyone. Yes, when you can't <laughs> draft anyone. Years. And when you had almost no talent on defense. It's weird because they don't have, like, elite personnel they're not like a truly elite defense but another thing we've kind of talked about this week is they're like a big play defense they seem to like know how to scheme to create not that you can like scheme to create game-changing plays but it's kind of like you said the new looks the new wrinkles they throw out kind of create uh game-changing plays and with two weeks yeah to do that to plan and prepare for that that is going to be one of the biggest factors in the game Robert we, we wanted to ask you about the Rams approach since about week 15 late in the season they seem to have shifted to a more you know kind of conservative run-heavy approach which has lasted 
now about two months, they have a 49% pass rate while leading since week 15, which is a huge drop from their early season numbers when that number was in the upper 50s and sometimes in the low 60s. You know, what, what do you make a, of that change in approach by Sean McVay? I think it's a way to kind of slow down their heartbeat a little bit. You think about just how frantic that offense looked in that middle part of the season right. when there were a lot of mistakes. There yeah. were a lot of decisions that Matthew Stafford was making. It's like, what is going on? And the, the move to Sony Michelle kind of in that stretch of the year, I mean, you guys know this. I mean, he won fantasy leagues for people based on what he was doing in that final back half of yeah, the man, year. Yeah, I mean, we weren't counting on 20 Sony Michelle carries. When but that's, I think that's team. what they did it because yeah. it was a foundation. It was a way to say, we're going to slow the game down. We're going to, again, just kind of slow down the heartbeat of the offense a little bit and have, rely on this. It's not explosive because Sony Michelle isn't explosive. And the numbers don't necessarily warrant the amount of times they're running the ball. The efficiency isn't where you'd want it to be. But I think they wanted something that they could kind of steadily rely on on mm -hmm. and kind of keep the train on the tracks offensively. I don't think it's necessarily the way they want to play, but I think it was a stabilizing fa factor and a stabilizing force for them in those moments. Yes, yes, we, there was like this mid-season kind of like, it was kind of when Matthew Stafford like started showing up in the injury report. It, it, it was never anything serious. I mean, I'm sure it was serious. The back. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Always at the back for him the past few years. And mm -hmm. like, yeah, that, that two or three expand where he like threw a bunch of interceptions and like some not good interceptions. It's, I think it spooked. I think it spooked McVeigh. It did a little yeah, bit, but like you said, it's Maybe just it, they have stable successfully mm -hmm. stable, and like you said, it's probably not like his first choice, but it has been working. And do you think is this going to be like a ball control game? Because they you know both teams. That's kind of what they want to do in theory. Or are we going to get a high octane offensive Super Bowl? I could see both teams playing pretty conservative on defense. You know, the Rams, if you look at the numbers with Joe Burrow against single high shells and against two high coverages, he's a lot better when you're putting one safety in the middle of the field because he's been willing to take those shots. He's willing to take advantage of those one-on-one -on -one matchups. So if the Rams go to a more quarters-based approach and they try to put a roof over them the entire game, <laughs> I think you're going to see small bites small chunks being bitten off by the Bengals and that inherently makes it a ball control game on the other side what do the Bengals do I think that's ultimately going to be the biggest question about how we how they influence the Rams offense are they going to do some more of that drop eight stuff are they going to play with really really light boxes and dare the Rams to run the ball there's a version of this game where I think we don't see a ton of big plays because the defenses are tailored entirely to slow those things down because that's you're playing into of. the other team's hands and I think we might see that I mean I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all if it was a 24-13 type game. That wouldn't shock me. I know. Like, and none of us are like gambling first type people, but I have been thinking this week, you know, the over-under has been usually around 48 and a half. I mean, like, it's kind of it's have a, a hard time the under's looking seeing good. that happening. The, the under seems good. And, and even the like the first quarter under, the first half under, those those look even better when you consider it could be a really slow start in a hostile environment for the Bengals. And the Bengals... Uh, hold on. I mean, let's be real. I don't know. It's not even a hostile environment when it's not... Like, I think it might be a hostile environment for the Rams. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. The Cincinnati fans, as good as they are, they're not traveling like Steelers They're not fans traveling, but, you know, these aren't the real fans getting the tickets here, Denny. I mean, this That's is, true. you know, people like you, you know, spending right. $20,000 on a ticket. And <laughs> yeah, you you know me. You know me. Yeah, drinking coffee. You're not going to have a beer at the Super Bowl. Oh, but but the, the Bengals have really struggled in the first quarter of games. Anyway, that's I just want to throw that out there. Well, so, Robert, you talked about maybe the Bengals trying to dare the Rams to run. The Rams have been playing, like, so many light boxes. Do you feel like that's going to be, like, the early game plan for this, essentially dare the Bengals to run? Because we know, like, when the Bengals think they can run, they want to try to run. It seems that's just, like, what they love to do when they can but do you think, is there any way the Bengals can actually win Super Bowl 56 
Like, if they're going out there with this conservative offensive, do you really think that's a game they can win? Are they the team, is it fair to say they're the team more than the Rams that they're going to need to, like, push the pace, need a higher-octane game? Yeah, I, I think in terms of the running game and the Rams kind of daring you to run the ball, that's what they want you to do. Yes. yes. When they play that way, that's what they want you to do. They play with the lightest boxes in the league. Yes. They play with the most two high shells in the league. And they're also a top five efficiency run defense. Yes. It's not as though and it's like, been just oh, we're shutting willing down to make it. Yeah. And obviously last week is a different situation, right? Playing all those six-man tilted fronts. They're daring Jimmy to beat them. They're not going to do that now. No. <laughs> that's not the way they're going to play Joe Burrow will beat them. But they don't they need that. to play that way. I mean, they have such a set of mismatches along the offensive line. It's not like there's one weak point along the Bengals' offensive line where you say, oh, Aaron Donald has a real advantage over this right guard. Every single one of those matchups, in my opinion, is a win for the Rams. Mm -hmm. Leonard Floyd against the right tackle is a win. Von Miller against the left tackle, who is arguably their best offensive lineman, is a win. Ashawn Robinson, the way he's playing against Quentin Spain, is a win. Greg Gaines against Trey Hopkins is a win. So <laughs> even if you look at it and you say, oh, they're in a, a six-man box, the 5-1 front, which they do all the time on early downs, we can run into that. That's exactly what Raheem Morris wants you to think. When they were kind of building this off or defensive philosophy last year and Brandon Staley was doing all these extreme things kind of pushing the envelope in that way he's trying to play into your nature yes right he's trying to say all right I'm showing you something that you're there should be alarm bells in your mind you saying this is an advantage for me this <laughs> is trap. an advantage for me let's sure. run the ball it's exactly what they want they would so much rather have you try to bite off little five-yard chunks over and over and over again, then push the ball down the field. Because if you don't create explosive plays in the NFL, you're not going to win. It all plays into each other. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel what you just said, I feel like Zach Taylor has no chance of not buying into that. Yeah. Like, like he's going to fall for it. I, I, just, I just feel like that's a guarantee at this point. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like even if they do somehow like take advantage like. I just don't feel like 120-yard Joe Mixon games like even that big of a deal. But like Zach Taylor is going to be good with like four and five-yard Mixon runs. Oh, this is here we go. This is what we're doing. I don't know if you're getting four and five yards though. That's if they it. run the ball the way they did against the Chiefs, and you're sitting there looking at second and seven all game, it's over. Right. It's over. Right. Against this team, it's over. The Chiefs' pass rush is pretty good. You know, Melvin Ingram was a nice story because yes, he, he came in midseason and played pretty well. There's no there's no pretty well no. with the Rams defensive no. line. They ruined the Bucks offensive line in that game. Even with Wirfs hurt, the guys that weren't hurt, they were destroying them over the course of that <laughs> game. Von Miller ate Donovan Smith's lunch mm -hmm. for four straight quarters. That defensive line against this Bengals offensive line in third and long situations, the game's over before it starts. You cannot put yourself in that we need Joe Burrow miracles on third down sort of mindset in this game. Right. And which has somehow worked like several times in the playoffs, but yeah, not a sustainable no. formula. By the way, Denny Robert, he named almost every offensive line, defensive line matchup. We you, we could do that, right? Yeah, well, I, uh, <laughs> I think we were talking about that the other day about Ashawn Robinson, who is a guy who plays on defense. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know Adeniji's first name. That's the one I don't know. Isaiah Prince is the right tackle. I could do them all. Yeah, I bet you could. <laughs> yeah. So is it safe to say, I mean, I, the cliche question, do you think the Rams are going to win Super Bowl 56? I do. I do. I, I think that they're going to win. You know, the, what Joe Burrow has done is remarkable. And I wouldn't rule out a Bengals win simply because of how well their defense has played. They're a team that, of destiny, Rob. That, well, That's I, a real thing. They've created their own destiny on defense. And I just am so impressed with their defense. It's so funny because if you look at over the course of the season, I can, and coming into the year, 
we flamed the Bengals in our preseason preview. We looked at them and just like, this team, you cannot win this way. You cannot win with this free agent built defense because we looked at their defense and said, where are the stars? Yeah. Where are the difference makers? And I, I believe if you look at the spending allocation, I think they have the third most expensive defense in the NFL this year. That's crazy. And when we were looking at that in August, think how on who? How can you get there without <laughs> having any stars on that side of the ball? But I think I underrated, I know I did, not having any weak points. You know, they don't have any A-plus defensive players, but they got a lot of Bs, and they have no D-minuses. And I think you see that. You know, Eli Apple and the linebackers and coverage is really the only thing you have to worry about, and they've hid those things. And their ability to kind of throw these curveball game plans at def and offenses that are specifically tailored to stop those offenses, that's brought them to this point. There's always a chance they hit another one flush the same way they did in the second half against the Chiefs. But I just think there's yeah. so many uphill battles they have to fight in this game that it's a whole order to make that happen. I just realized if the Bengals do win, the Eli Apple tweets, we're, we're going to be oh. talking about oh. them. Quote They're going to dominate the timeline. All week. Yeah, the Bengals have been running pure. I think that that's, that's kind of the, the, the main message here going to the Super Bowl. If they can keep doing that, I guess they, pro they have a decent shot. If they can't run pure in this game, I think the Rams win by a lot. It's funny that you say that, but he got sacked nine times nine. against the Titans. More than I guess the normal defense. I guess defense the Bengals defense. The defense yes. has been, yes. It's just, it, but it's so funny because you look at that. They played six halves yeah. in the playoffs, right? They played two of them against a Raiders team that I think we can all admit is not very good. Not the great. They played two halves against the Titans team where they allowed nine sacks and got three tight Ryan Tannehill picks against an offense that never found itself in the back half no. of the season. Never did. And then they played two halves against the Chiefs. In one, they almost gave up 28 points. Mm -hmm. And in the second one, again, they hit him flush with like a left cross, and that was it, and that was enough. So it just threading the needle that they've threaded is very impressive. I have a hard time seeing them do it again. Yeah. We have one more question for you before we let you go. We're just kind of we're going back through. Did yeah. You take yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, before we let you go. Non-Super Bowl I, question. I, 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 thought, I thought of something you wrote in the summer about Elijah Moore. The rookie this year. You've been talking Jets. about Elijah Moore all week, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure this is, this is, a, hot, this is a hot topic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not what I expected. You know, people here. are stopping us out there. It's like, can you please get someone to talk about Elijah Moore? We're, we're looking show. for Elijah Moore in the in the um, media row here. You wrote uh, in July that Elijah Moore quote isn't just going to be a slot option for the Jets. He's going to have the multifaceted role of a top shelf receiver. Now we didn't see a ton of that in fa fantasy wise this year, but from week eight to week 13, when he was healthy and he emerged as the clear number one option in New York, he was fantasy's fourth highest scoring wide receiver. He was targeted on 30% of his pass routes over that stretch. That was the fifth highest in the league among receivers. So he really did command those targets when he was healthy. W what jumped out to you in, in watching Elijah Moore to you know make you write that? He didn't move like a slot receiver. You know, the, he had vertical speed, his ability to kind of push the ball down the field in that area. It almost reminded me, and this is a pre-draft comp a lot of people used, of what Brandon Cooks looks like on mm. an NFL field, where his stature would lead you to believe that he's one type of player, when in actuality, he's a different type of player. And even the way they were lining him up, I mean, the routes that they had him on, Zach Wilson looked incredible that day I was there at training <laughs> camp, which it's always the, the risk you run. Yeah. When you get to camp for one day, sure. you can be totally misled. And the, the ways they were using Elijah Moore that day, I mean, deep play action routes, 
routes. It mm-hmm. had nothing to do with we're going to use you in a slot route and, or a slot role, and that's all you're going to be. It seemed much more varied than that, and that's just how I came away thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, and that's how and that's what we saw. I, I I just I appreciate you writing that because it really it really turned me on to Elijah Moore as like a you know a, a late round pick who had a lot of upside. I I, uh, I, I loved what you wrote. Yeah, there. the point of this question was basically just to thank you for telling us. I, yes, I really appreciate that. I, it was my one day as a beat writer because our, our Jets beat writer was at a wedding. You did a great so job. I had to cover the Jets for a day, and yeah. I'm glad I got one nugget in my one day as a beat well, writer. Well, when you have like one day at Steelers camp next summer or something, we're going to be parsing it very That's right. closely. Looking, I, I may have to hit Steelers camp next year because I did not this year. So I try to diversify each individual season. Well, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. You've got to go pre- do your own preview now show. The Athletic Football Podcast is just one of the best out there. Thanks, man. I appreciate awesome, that. Awesome, awesome stuff. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's awesome. Thank you. Just a really good, like, yeah. real game yes. breakdown and preview. <laughs> thank and, you for uh, being good. I got to workshop some of my takes before I get to there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Find show, them. So. Yeah, maybe go say, like, the exact opposite on your show. You know, we've been doing that this week, kind of. But, you know, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we'll cross paths again soon. It's my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Robert. Me. See you, dude. All right. We now welcome in Points Bets head trader. Jay Croucher, who's, yeah, it's hard. I've gone to this wrong side of the seat several <laughs> times. And, uh, Jay, we've been talking about you've probably, you've got this game like down cold from a betting perspective, which is really good for Denny and I because we just don't still <laughs> right. somehow. Can you tell us what to do? Yeah, and there's this, first, yeah, Jay, tell me how to win Super Bowl squares. <laughs> uh, that's like a, a real thing. That's like something you can strategize that, That's for. a high percentage game. Yeah, you yeah know? very, very yeah. high percentage I mean, game. That's good. Everybody who knows a lot plays, uh, plays the squares so, yeah so basically we're we are not gambling sharps um you are very smart about gambling. this begin so denny and i are the public let's say that where do you see the public leaning for this game right now where are like the sharps the smart money leaning for this game right now well i think the public is definitely leaning to the rams just overall with everything uh just thinking that i think that now kind of the a bit of the the mistake of joe burrow that was like right after the chiefs win is now people are starting to look at that bengals team as the team that went set 10 and 7 <laughs> that lost to the bears that lost yes. to the jets and they're not <laughs> this dominant team whereas the rams they have more star power they're playing at home that it's a bit more of a known commodity and i think people are just more comfortable uh betting with the rams it's a, yeah, it's more like the people. We've had two weeks now to investigate the Eagles. Like, oh, maybe they're not a team of destiny. Right, uh, right. They literally lost the New York Jets. But if the if the uh, overarching feeling is that the Rams are going to win, I, f- I feel like I feel like I'm I'm buying into a narrative that's maybe too popular. Is it? Are any of the the sharps leaning towards Cincinnati or is? Because it is does it seem also? like yeah, everyone we've talked to this week, no one's saying like, oh, I like the Bengals. Right. Yeah, the, I, the, no one's even saying they like the Bengals <laughs> to cover. You know, let alone win outright, which does feel dangerous. Um, yeah, I think since, you know, I got into L.A. on Sunday night, I don't think I've heard a single person make the case for the Bengals. Uh, everyone's just saying, you know, Rams 35-20 or whatever in a blowout. But I think that, the, to me, this whole Super Bowl is just about Matthew Stafford because, uh, you know, what I've said before is that Matthew Stafford, every game he plays, he holds a grenade. And he's kept his thumb on the grenade throughout the playoffs, except he kind of let it go when he threw that pass to Tart down the middle. Mm. It's just Tart didn't catch it. And so the thing is, is that, you know, we think that these lines that we price are really solid and there's a lot of information that goes into them. That's why the Rams are minus four. But one interception, on average, that just shifts the spread five points. And one interception is worth five points. And so you're just one split second of Matthew Stafford insanity from the Bengals immediately flipping favorite. So that's how narrowly margins are in a, in, in a one-off sample size that's a great tidbit and uh, insane and if we get a if we get a true Stafford game and maybe a, that that becomes two or three picks 
you know, that that puts the Bengals right in position. Well, yeah, we were talking with Robert Mays too from the Athletic, who's talking. You know, the Bengals make big plays on defense. They're, they're kind of they, they're going to have like some exotic looks, some crazy looks, and they could bait Matthew Stafford. Five point. I I feel like you never hear anything that's that big of a swing. Usually, I'm always shocked by how small a swing is. Like, oh, it's only 1.9 points actually. It's a big uh, deal, and and Stafford he has a tendency as well to to throw picks that go for six the other yes. way, and I think that's just kind of yeah. randomness and chance. It but. is randomness, but they've been a lot of them lately. <laughs> like yes. He's had several picks. I feel like the, like the 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 pick sixes he throws are are a lot to the outside where it is where it is a yep. situation where if the cornerback catches it, it's over. Like no one is is catching him. He so. doesn't throw like eighty yard pick sixes. It's like right. when he's inside his own twenty <laughs> yes. a lot. Yes, it to is to the outside. We wanted to ask you about prop bets because as fantasy guys, that, that kind of uh, is. I, at least I feel more comfortable, do, you know, looking at prop bets because of the fantasy angle and the connection there. Can you tell us about a couple of the most popular prop bets in this game? Yeah, so the big ones are all related to Cooper Cup, where I think he is the story of yeah. the skill position players. You know, he is the guy who was really the first wide receiver borderline MVP candidate we've had since I, I can't even remember when. Yeah. I mean, maybe Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, yeah. Maybe, you know, Michael Thomas got a little bit of buzz yeah. in his amazing season in 2019, but it wasn't to the level of Cup. And so, you know, Cup is a guy who, you know, he breaks all the models. It's just all season I was waiting for someone to, to figure something. Yes. Out or we said we would, I would just simply cover Cooper Cup, and then they never did. Just do that. It's apparently yeah. not possible. I don't really understand why. Like, I remember the Ravens game against Green Bay where they, like, bracketed Devontae Adams, and they were double and triple teaming him every play. Like, I don't really understand why no one ever did that to Cup, but he just seems to be someone who is just so eerily consistent and undeniable, and people are just, they're just trusting that he's going to get more than 105 yards and that he is going to get in the end zone, where our most popular prop bet is just Cooper Cup to score a touchdown which is minus 150 and people just think that's free money there are almost as many bets on that as there are on the spread yeah uh, which you know it's... 10 years ago would have been unheard of and now wow. player props are so popular to bet on and people are just putting cooper cup into everything uh, and this cincinnati defense obviously isn't that intimidating the secondary isn't that imposing so there's just a lot of love for, for cooper cup everything over well cooper cup gets open so easily and sean mcveigh you know, for years throughout the Jared the Jared Goff years, like there'd be so many times where they would just scheme someone completely wide open for Jared Goff, and he can still very much do that with Matthew Stafford. And like, just feel like at some point in the game, you just have Cooper Cup like running free on yeah. the Apple or something. I will say, if when you try to you know come up with a narrative in your head of how Cooper Cup won't exceed 105 yards, 106 yards, whatever it is. The only one I can come up with is that the Rams get out to a big lead on the strength of their special teams and their defense, and they run the ball a ton, and Stafford only throws it maybe like 20, 22 times. In that scenario, I can see Cup not, you know, not getting over 100. But other than that, I mean, it seems like a slam dunk, honestly. Yeah, I don't that know. scenario kind of developed in the divisional round. Yeah. And then when it got close, then he just blew by it. That's right. Yeah. Well, and it happened against Arizona in the in the wild card. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think that's the pathway for it to happen. But even in, you know, earlier blowout games that the Rams have had when they destroyed Jacksonville mm -hmm. to, in the middle to later part of the season, Cup is still going well over. Uh, so I think that just Stafford's connection with him, um, it's just it is hard to see how Cooper Cup has a bad game because, you know, I think that 
to maybe fans who haven't followed the league as closely and is tuning in for the Super Bowl, they still might have the perception that Cooper Cup is a slot receiver. Yeah. Cooper Cup's like one of the best deep threats in the game yes, as well. Right? Like he just does just everything. running right by people. Yeah. And I think still more than 50% of his snaps come in the slot, but he can just be lined up everywhere and he just seems impossible to scheme out of the game. It's, it's why uh, Cooper Cup's peripheral numbers have been off the charts all, all year. We've been expecting, you know, my colleague Pat Corain at NBC Sports Edge and I have talked about how, like, these numbers are impossible to maintain. You know, back, this is back week six, week eight, but it, they, he just maintained them because he's not only their most effective deep threat by far, he's an extension of the running game. So he, he gobbles up Lops. those intermediate targets. He gets the long ones. It's uh, really incredible. It's because they have breakfast together. It's, they're breakfast buddies, Stafford and, and Cup. And, uh, and if we had known that in the preseason, I, I think that fantasy drafts would have gone differently. Janine and I have been becoming closer this week having breakfast together. We haven't really succeeded having an actual breakfast. <laughs> no, we haven't had breakfast. We've been sitting with each other near what would be considered breakfast time, <laughs> and one of us has been consuming a product. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. you've been scarfing bread yes, while I've I know. Uh, been um, eat, drinking water. So everyone's all over Cooper. What is, what's a non-Cooper Cup prop getting a lot of action? I just feel like, yeah, we are talking about Cooper Cup a lot this week. Understandably so, because he's <laughs> the most important non-quarterback yeah. in the game. But what's a non-Cooper Cup prop getting a lot of action? There has been a lot of cup chat this week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, our next most popular player bet on, as you might expect, is Odell Beckham, because I guess he's the next most famous yeah. Yeah, player. And he's coming off his first 100-yard game as a Ram. Yes. And, and I think the people are, there's probably a little bit of recency bias behind that with how good he looked against the Niners. And so a lot of people are betting on him to go over 60 and a half yards. That's a really popular bet. And I think that... You know, Odell is a really difficult player to price just because we have such little sample size yeah. of what he is in this environment on this team. And so it is really difficult. I think that the, probably the most important thing, though, if you are optimistic about Odell, is that he had 11 targets against yes. San Francisco, yeah. which was his most of the season. And, and it makes sense that as he spends more time in the team, in the ecosystem, that Stafford would get more comfortable passing to him. So that is the argument for Odell. The argument against Odell over 16 and a half is that he doesn't really go over 16 and a half No, yeah, he often. hasn't done it very many times at all. No. Yeah. So I, I think that that, that will be, uh, that'll be a big yeah, decision for us, whether he goes over or under, but very popular and people are believing in Odell. A big kind of like under the radar storyline, I feel like, is that Daryl Henderson might mm. actually play in this game. It's weird. They don't have to issue official injury reports on him because he's still technically on injured reserve, but they're basically saying he's going to be active. Have you seen that affecting the like the the the, the yardage lines for Cam Akers and Sony Michelle, or is the gam the gambling world not really taking serious the possibility that Daryl Henderson might come in this game? No, and see enough work. I think we do, and I think that's that's affected Akers' price. Like he's been in for rushing yards, he's been in the mid 60s, and he's getting bet lower and lower as we go. And the thing is, is that. Akers just hasn't looked good. He's been getting a lot of volume. He's had the power, but he just has not had... He's a guy who relies on those breakaway runs, and he's yep. just not had a breakaway run yet. Yeah, and he doesn't just historically, even prior to the injury, he doesn't put up many huge yardage games. Um, and I think that, you know, there should be potential for him to have a big game just because McVay loves running the ball. It's what he wants he does, to yeah. do, particularly if they get a lead in the second half and, you know, they're four-point favorites. They're minus 200 on the money line, so you'd expect that they would have a lead in the second half and that Akers would get some run, but at the same time, he just he just hasn't delivered at all. So it's really it's a really difficult element to kind of, I guess, project and price just the Rams running game, what it will be, because you expect they'll get the volume, but they just haven't gotten the, the production. Is there like a lower key prop, the, something that you've been interested in that looks like it might be like 
where there might be some opportunity there, someone like Tyler Boyd or someone like Samaji Pirine or even like Kendall Blanton, kind of like the forgotten players of the game. Are there any of, any of those that you have found like very interesting this week? I think Tyler Boyd is interesting to think about because when you just look at, you know, talking about matchups, it's really difficult to predict how matchups are going to unfold. But when you look at the Rams, their weakness, which is well chronicled, is that, you know, the, the stuff to the short middle of the field where their linebackers aren't great in coverage. And I think that, you know, Tyler Boyd, whose line is 40 and a half receiving yards, he is the Bengals' most targeted receiver over the middle. So there is potential for him to go over. And you figure that, you know, Ramsey isn't going to go on Boyd. No. On Chase and Higgins, it sorry. Would be kind of a misuse of resources. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not sure about that one. And and uh, C.G. Uzama's uh, status will you know weigh heavily in that in that Boyd um, calculus. I but I do love Boyd as a as a low key option both in DFS and uh, for prop bets. Is the gambling world are they confident? What's like the overall? I'm sorry to like say the game. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like, what I are the, be the gambling is world? Is the gambling <laughs> world are they confident like Tyler Higby and CJ Ozama are going to play in this game, or do they think that's more coaching smoke? I think it's the expectation is and not just to stick with the tight ends, but it's kind of like Gronkowski in that second Giants-Pats Super Bowl yeah, where, where he, was like he wasn't. Right, but he still played and he was still out there and he was still doing some stuff yeah. where we expect that, you know, they'll probably play and they'll probably be very limited and they're not going to put up big yardage totals. But So that's the kind of expectation is you're getting 60 to 70% of those guys. But, yeah, it's something that will certainly be because uh, we offer all these player props in play now and we're updating them in play as the game is going. And so there will be a very quick trigger in adjustments on those guys just once we just see them be run on the first play and just how they look and whether they're limping. KJ, final question. Mm. Um, is is going to be the over or the under and are the Bengals going to cover? <laughs> I, like the, uh, I like the Rams and the over which uh, is spells bad news for points bet because we need the other two things to happen <laughs> but uh, I think right. that what the Bengals have done I, I just think that when you look at the full season sample they're just not as good as the Rams there's nothing that suggests they're as good as the Rams they've gotten through the playoffs with three one score victories and really the defense has only really looked good for it was one half against the Chiefs and then against the Titans it wasn't even that great against the Raiders so I think that you know the the Rams are the better team they should be able to to move the ball and so much of what the Bengals did was with this uh, rushing three dropping eight into coverage and it just feels like that's something that McVeigh should be able to figure out with two weeks preparation. So I think that the Rams are the better team. But at the same time, Matthew Stafford has that grenade and he could really <laughs> destroy his team Damn. at any given moment. So that's why I'm not super confident in that just because of Stafford and how high variance he is. When you're betting on a favorite, you want just rock solid consistency. You just want Tom Brady and his short passes over the middle over and over again, whereas Stafford has much more variance. So uh, definitely the Bengals are very live. It's just such an apt analogy. It is. I, I really like it. I have not I, heard uh, it described. I'm not going to stop thinking about it until, <laughs> until might, Sunday. I mean, by Friday, we're going to be claiming, Denny, you yeah. came up with a uh, grenade. Uh, Stafford has a yeah. grenade. Yep. Well, Jay, thank you so much for educating Denny and I. Thank you. It's just been great stuff all week on Bet the Edge. Great stuff for yeah. all of us. So thank you so much for dropping by. Good luck with all your propositions this weekend. And just thank you very much. No worries. Pleasure, guys. Have Our pleasure. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. It is now our great pleasure to welcome in Bronco standout Noah Fant, who is here on behalf of Outcast NFT. He's only 24 years old and has already posted three 500-yard campaigns in the NFL. Noah, you are in an offense with so much young talent. You have mm-hmm. yourself, Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, Javante Williams, Albert O, who by, I, he went to Mizzou where I went, and I still cannot say his last <laughs> name properly. I'm assuming you can, but what do you think you guys might be doing differently under new coach Nathaniel Hackett in 2022? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing, what Coach Hackett's already said, is that you know he's going to be taking advantage of all, all of our strengths, right? I mean, he said that you know he's going to take advantage of what everybody does well, and then try to make any weaknesses a strong point for him, which is a great sign of a coach and a great sign of an offensive, offensive-minded coach. So I'm excited. Yeah, and so you're talking about you've been under a really good defensive-minded head coach in mm-hmm. Vic Fangio, but under, like you said, now an offensive-minded head coach in Nathaniel Hackett, are you expecting kind of more like a tempo, aggressive approach, or like any early signs on what you think this like kind of the tempo of the offense? Yeah, be? I mean, from what he said, um, we're going to establish a run game, more outside zone-based, and then uh, we're still going to you know hit those passes down the field, and I think that's going to be great. And like you said, you know, obviously Coach Coach Fangio is a great defensive coach, but you know, obviously Coach Coach Hackett has a uh, has a good a yeah. good experience in the offensive game, so it's going to be good. You know, we we speak for all fantasy managers, so I'll just go ahead and ask you on on behalf of all fantasy managers. We want to know how the Broncos can get you even more involved <laughs> as as a pass catcher in that yes. in that Denver offense. Yes, I and trust me, I know it's frustrating. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, it's frustrating for me sometimes also. But you know, I think it's just. I think the the change and the different mindset coming in is going to help a ton. Uh, I think. I'm excited for Coach Hackett. I'm excited for Coach Allen, the the OC, and I think it's going to be good. I think the biggest thing is just, you know, making sure we're keeping everybody involved on a consistent basis, which I think they're going to do, and I think that's going to help in the fantasy world also. You know, this past season you were targeted on 21% of your pass routes. Mm -hmm. Uh, you need to tell your coaches, get that up to 24, 25%. Yes, yes, We'd love to see that. Definitely. I mean, this is like like kind of like a cliche question, but like how do you manage that when – you're in an offense with so many just really, really good young offensive players. Like, how do, like, yeah, you know, how do you keep everyone happy? And like, how does like, because we haven't really heard. I mean, you know, we don't know. We're not in the locker room. We haven't heard like 
ever like the Broncos, like a young group where people are like fighting about who's getting the ball. And this, yeah. how do you, how do you kind of like maintain harmony yeah. when there are so many guys who just deserve to get the ball? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's definitely um, something to navigate that a lot of teams don't have to. Like you said, we have a lot of young you have guys. A lot. We have a lot of, of players, a lot of guys that can really do some really good things. So um, it's just a matter of of everybody continuously being happy for everybody's success. And we're a pretty tight knit group, so everybody is usually pretty happy about everybody's success and like I think like I said I think with this new this new coaching staff they're gonna do a great job of making sure that everybody on a consistent basis is getting those opportunities see we're talking about getting you opportunities so you're part of this young wave of tight ends where like basically you're too big for cornerbacks mm -hmm. you're too fast for linebackers you're just like a walking mismatches like how have you seen this how is this like changing offensive approaches? Do you see this becoming an even bigger part of an NFL offense? Is like people looking for Noah Fant? Just like a huge mismatches mm -hmm. seem. No, I definitely think that it's becoming a part of the game, right? I mean, I've talked with uh, you know our coaches, our GM. It's like if you have a good tight end, if you have a tight end that's a weapon in the pass game and that can do good things in the run game. You're gonna give yourself a better better opportunity to win games. So um, it's becoming a part of our game, a, a very focal, a very a very focal part of our game in today's game to have that tight end and have that have that position on point. So I definitely think I think even in the last couple of drafts, everybody's been trying to get their guy at tight end, and I think it's I think it's great. I no, think it it's is a good great. Thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, every year and just yeah, and like we want it, you're about. You're gonna have a thousand yard season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's coming. It's it's, co it's coming. It's coming. It's got to. It's got to. And you guys had two two good tight ends. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really, really great I mean, Albert, uh, pass yeah, catching. I want Albert O. Mizzou. That, that guy is a baller. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's definitely. a baller too. Noah, you're here at the Super Bowl. For, I mean, you don't have to. If you don't want to give us a game prediction, who is going to win the Super Bowl? And this kind of like, what are like the personal storylines you're interested in? Like, what are you kind of like personally rooting for in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I'm personally rooting for. I got a couple teammates, former teammates on the Rams. Obviously, Von Miller, Justin Hollins, Alaric Jackson that I was actually college roommates with. They both went to Iowa, so I'm rooting for those guys. Um, I think it's going to be a close game, though. It's hard to say. I think the biggest, the biggest tell of the game is going to be if the Bengals can protect Joe Burrow. If they can, I think they have a really good sh chance to win. If that if that front line of the of the uh, Rams gets to him, yeah, uh, Aaron Donald, then tell your former teammate. Just <laughs> <take it> easy. <laughs> yeah, if they if they get to him a lot, then I I don't know how it's gonna go. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, Vaughn, don't hurt him. Yeah, take it a little easy. And last question, Noah, what do you want to say about Outcast NFT? Yeah, so this is I mean, Outcast is a great company, right? Outcast NFT. They got over 10,000 anime-based NFTs out there. It's a great company. They. They have a. They have a more. They're releasing more. Actually, more NFTs coming up soon, in a couple of weeks. And uh, you know, they're they're great, man. I, I. It's a new wave of what's coming. They're starting to dabble into the metaverse stuff. The with the and I'm I'm hyped. I'm super hyped about the Andromeda metaverse. It's kind of. I don't know if you guys know, but it's kind of like a. Um, if you put an Oculus on, right, and you can see all around you, and you can see all these things, different things around you, and you can buy certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. So yeah. It's, it's really cool, man, and they, and I'm hyped about it. I'm I'm fully behind them, and I think it's going to be a, a great partnership. So that's great. We we want NFTs of you scoring touchdowns next year. Yes, please, <laughs> please. We're gonna get I would buy those. We're going to collect all of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck in 2022, and yeah, just here's for a good game this Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, thanks, Noah. It'll be great. Thank you, guys. Denny Noah was a very, very, just a good interview, yeah. really good football player. We forgot to ask about 
unfortunate that he might be arguably too good of a football player. Why is he good at blocking? Yeah. Why is that something he pursues? I was actually going to ask him uh, to please focus on not learning how to block. You know, <laughs> on, on, on spending the offseason forgetting everything he knows on how to block so that the coaching staff will, with frustration, say, fine, you're just a pass-catching option. Get out there, run your routes. We're, we're going to target you over the middle, you know, and, and unfortunately, I forgot to ask. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking about, yeah, like how to how do we spread these targets around yeah. in the super crowded, super talented young offense? And yeah, have you ever considered just being less good at blocking? So the, the, they have no choice but to just throw to you constantly. The best block. way to be a good tight end is to only do the one thing good. <laughs> and, 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 is, and, and, you know, for fantasy purposes, we want that to be uh, pass catching. Yeah, but Noah, Noah's a great guy. He really is still ascending in fantasy, he too. Is. And he's going to have a monster campaign right. at some point. I, I mean, every, everything in his, uh, in his history, both in college and, and um, you know, athletically and everything, points to him being Mark Andrews. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like he, he could easily post a Mark Andrews season at some point. Yeah, it's been nothing. The fact that he hasn't like gone off for you know an 800, 900 season is nothing to do with him. And just no. the way the team is built, the way the offense is built. But Denny, so you know, I'm from St. Louis. You are. Uh, we're known for our thin crust pizza that is very, very, very divisive. It's we're talking very divisive, but it's not nearly as divisive as Cincinnati's uh, signature food, Skyline Chili, of which there's been some new developments today. There have been some Skyline Chili developments today. It's been the talk of the world. Bengals tight end C.J. Ozama, which everyone knows is your favorite player, has said that he will take a bath in Skyline Chili if Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl. Has there ever been a more obvious adjust down in the ranks than this? Adjust down. We have to. And this breaks my heart to adjust down. But he's, he, I mean, if he said that, he's really going to have to do it. Like, we're going to see a picture on our Twitter timeline one day of C.J. Ozama in a bathtub full of Skyline Chili. You see this picture on the screen here, Denny. It's the the Skyline Chili cocktail. Come on. Yeah, the the Cincy Teeny is what it's called. I mean, just frankly, I can't even really look at this. (laughs) We need (laughs) to get this off the screen. And uh, the, the Cincy Teeny, this is a, an abomination. It, honestly, it's an insult to the entire great city of Cincinnati. Can you think of anything? I don't know if there's anything I'd want to consume less before getting on a plane <laughs> and a cocktail <laughs> made of Skyline Chili. I mean, even if it's like a really short, like, connecting flight. Yeah. Like, it, putting a Skyline Chili cocktail into my... Like, I'm not going to go up 35,000 feet. You know, I'm right. just, this seems like a really responsible thing to put in my system uh, right now. You shout out to my fellow passengers, is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. is, is what I would say. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the kind of thing, you know, that. people get on the plane sometimes. Like, I've seen people get on the plane with, like, an entire pizza. <laughs> and, you know, what? like, makes the entire plane smell like pizza. Oh. Like, someone just gets on the plane like, an entire steak dinner or something. Like, just imagine getting on with any kind of Skyline Chili product. Like what that might do to the cat. So these people have not heard the that pizza is bad. No, that, what is that? Well, is this a is this is a it, Denny take? Pizza's not what? Uh, mostly pizza's not good. I mean, I what? guess there are some versions that are okay, but it's too there's too there's often too much sauce, way too much Hold cheese. On. Well, first off, it, it yeah, would be better without cheese. The single worst take you have is the cheese isn't good. So I guess I should have right, known. Right. You really it's, a pe- you're uh, honestly a pizza there, truther. I, I'm not even kidding. I didn't even know this. You're actually a pizza truther. Yeah, no, I, I I like my pizza with with extremely small amounts of cheese, and you know because like you said, I I've you know long been a hater of cheese, so it makes sense. This is uh, anyway. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah. What I mean, I'm fired. You're, yeah, you are. Yeah, I, it's shocking. You still have your job. 
by the way. But uh, you are more fired than ever. Oh, wow. After, I mean, Look the NBC lawyer is funny. Oh, doesn't like this. Is like, they're, they're out writing this down right now. They're actually out here. <laughs> hey, a lot I, of people, you probably haven't know. There's so many people. You don't know who some of these people are. Some of them are the lawyers. There are more NBC lawyers here than there are anybody else yes. in, in, in Media Row. There's and a I, lot of production staff. There's some talent, but it is actually mostly lawyers. And they, they just look at me the whole time. <laughs> They've been, uh, we can't find the silver bullet, though. <laughs> We've been trying to construct the case all year, and we just cannot find the silver bullet. Uh, shout out to the labor laws. <laughs> we cannot find the silver bullet to terminate Denny's employment with the National Broadcasting Corporation. Denny, we had a lot of really good guests on today. Robert Mays was fantastic. Jay Croucher was fantastic. Noah Fant was fantastic. I've been checking in on your new thoughts yeah. every day on the Super Bowl. Daryl Henderson looks like he's going to play. It looks like they could even be like a rotation at running back for the Rams. Mm-hmm. CJ Ozama, Tyler Higby are both cha- uh, trending in the right direction. What are your new thoughts today on Super Bowl 56 on Sunday? All right. A new thought. And this, this entered and it, and it kind of burrowed in my brain. And that, you know, no, no pun intended with the Burrow thing, but uh, it, it's this. Uh, it's what Jay was saying about Matthew Stafford being so volatile and having that grenade. And if and if he goes full Stafford, you should never go full, <laughs> never Stafford, go full Stafford. And he throws three interceptions, say, in this game, and maybe two early picks. The Bengals win, and they, and they win maybe going away from from the Rams because the Rams will not be able to do anything they want to do. After that, now they do have the firepower to make a comeback with Beckham and with with uh, Cooper Cup and Stafford. You know when he's you know playing well, but uh, there is there is the the potential for a complete meltdown, and that's what that's what Sean McVay has been trying to avoid for for two months now by by establishing the run and being conservative. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should have been paying. Maybe like Sean McVay is telling us something, right? Like where he's like in much greater fear of that than we realize. Because yeah, that's the. I mean, they are now. A run-first offense, yeah. essentially. Like, like everything that we've said, everything that our guests have said, everything that everybody here in Media Row has said all week, it all goes right out the window if Stafford comes out and throws an early pick. Like, like it, that is a major, major swing and one that puts the Bengals at a great advantage. Jay had that crazy stat that I cannot believe. Where, like, one interception is worth, like, a five-point swing. Uh, that's, that's, like, huge. And, like, so, it, like there's nothing scientific here. But, like, it is funny that history is repeating itself from the AFC Championship game where, like, all the talk leading up there, no one even really entertained. Like, we didn't even talk about, like, no. what kind of game would have to emerge for the Bengals to win because we just there didn't was... even really entertain. And, like, mm. no, this is, like, a day four of the podcast, and really no one who's appeared on the show, including us, have, like, even, like, explored the case for how the Bengals you know, win. But, but the, the, the Bengals, like the 49ers, who had a lot of success against the Rams this season, and almost pulled it out, you know, in the in the NFC title game. It, the Bengals play a similar type of defense. They drop uh, against Stafford, I should say. They drop so many people back. They rush as few as possible. They know how Stafford fails. And you know, other teams like the Bucks, for instance, didn't you know? Didn't watch enough tape. I don't know. Didn't didn't study the analytics. <laughs> like they didn't look into it, and they got burned big time by Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. But I think the Bengals present a, a, a significant problem potentially. But the Rams are just going to win, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Denny, we're almost out of time today, but I, the Twitter, the Twitter, as we call it, um, <laughs> that's what the young people remains call it. A flutter and talk that I mean, does no one? They just refuse to believe. Especially, you know, with the lawyer situation, that the NBC would send you to oh. Los Angeles. There's kind of nothing we can do to prove these people. 
you uh, were here. Because, I mean, frankly, I, I've been telling them you're not here, too, because you're not. Right. I wish so I'd appreciate it. How do you prove it, to the people on Twitter and to your co-host that you're... The, are you, first off, uh, I mean, is this like a hologram situation? Like, what is a CGI, uh, deep fake hologram? Like, is it actually... Like, is this just like Warren Sharp sitting here right? and they like put his face in those like, like Warren, no you can just eat lunch or something yeah. and superimpose Denny over you. While right. You're on. What no, is going on? Well, here, here are some thoughts on, on, on how I can prove it. Uh, uh, one is I could get the the production staff to, to to sign an affidavit saying that they that I am here. They you know, can't so, lie. They're so, on, this is honest honest people. These so, are good hardworking so people. It could be they are hardworking and and I and I and I think that they will be honest and say that I am here. Also, I could uh, pay for plane tickets to fly people from across the country to my house <laughs> in the great state of Maryland to look in every corner of my house <laughs> to make sure I'm not there. I can't think of anything else at this point. Well, then, how do we know you're just like in the yard? You haven't like <laughs> they dug, can look in the yard. Dug, dug, like anywhere. a really cool ditch or we, something. We have a very weird old playhouse in the back that's been there since like 1988. Uh, they can look in that. I'm not in there. I, I think we actually do. Maybe NBC is going to be begin paying for people flying out like a number of people. It's kind of like a like a UN type thing. You know, they send like a peacekeeping <laughs> a convoy. Yeah, yeah, like kind of like you know, like a, let's say real like elite inspections unit. <laughs> so, but what does that even prove? You're not in Maryland. You know, you tweeted basically. It seemed like you were at the Dallas airport. When I you c- tweeted the thing of the Cowboys doll. I can only be in two places. In One Maryland or LA. LA. This is this is physics. No, one of them is not LA. No, you've been here pumping out great content all week. Thank you. And it's hard to believe it's already been day four. We only have one day left in Los Angeles. There's going to be another really great show. We have Danny Kelly from The Ringer joining us. We're going to have Clyde Edwards-Elaire from the Kansas City Chiefs joining us. Yeah. So just a really, really great great week of shows. A really, really great show today. Thanks again so much to Robert Mays, Jay Croucher, and Noah Fant. And just thank you so much, though, most of all to you for listening. We hope you've been enjoying us all week. For Denny, I'm Pat. We'll be back with you one more day from Radio Row in Los Angeles tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.